Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Brad. This is my friend Daniel. Hello. Hi, Daniel. Hey, Brad. Uh, and this morning, we're going to continue on uh, our conversations on what it looks like to live the life of a disciple. How do we make our whole lives about the whole purpose of God, which is to see every man, woman, and child uh, come to know uh, the surpassing glory and love of God uh, and to be a person who follows him and lives their entire lives pattern after uh, who God is and as we get to live as image bearers of God. And this morning we're going to be talking about uh, the rhythms, uh, which is fun, especially for a, uh, I'm just going to call it out, a mostly white church, you know, talking about rhythm is always pretty funny. Uh, that did not land well. Everyone's pretty sensitive about uh, anything. Um, this morning, we're going to be talking about, I think, one of the greatest truths that exists in the Christian faith, uh, which is that your life matters. That every part of your life, everything that you do, uh, all the waking, all the sleeping, all of the, the walking around, running around, all of it matters to God. That, that in uh, the Christian faith, we don't segment pieces away that say, well, when you're meditating, it matters, and all the rest is against what matters. Uh, or when you're doing religious things in a religious place, that's what God cares about. The rest of it uh, just don't mess up. Uh, the Christian faith is actually every single piece of your life matters to God. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes uh, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, he says, And whatever you do, uh, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I think what Paul's saying there is an incredible reality that we have uh, within us, because of the power of Jesus, the ability to have every word we say and every action we do be under the name and the identity of Jesus. Uh, that, that Jesus, his name means uh, the one who will forgive sins. Uh, Jesus is the Lord. It's by him, by his name, by everything that he's ever accomplished, we enter into a kingdom of God uh, where we are loved, accepted, affirmed, forgiven, uh, empowered. And what Paul is saying here is whatever you do, any activity of your life, you can do it under the very presence of God. Uh, I think that's pretty miraculous that the gospel has that power to impact our entire lives and that every part of our lives can be transformed by the life of Jesus. Earlier in this, this letter that Paul writes uh, to the people of Colossae, he says that we've been transferred from a kingdom of darkness into a marvelous light, uh, that we get to live in that light. Um, it really is remarkable that every ordinary mundane thing matters. School drop-offs, commutes, small chats with waiters or waitresses, uh, the eating that we do, the working that we do, the errands, the vacations, the chores, the conflicts, it all matters. Uh, you guys know I love uh, Eugene Peterson, and so it's hard for me to preach without talking about him. <laughs> Uh, and he's actually written a fantastic book uh, called Christ Plays in 10,000 Places. And in that book, he says this. God's great love and purpose for us 
are all worked out in messes in our kitchens and backyards, in storms and in sins, blue skies, the daily work, and dreams of common lives. God works with us as we are, and not as we should be or think that we should be. That God is actually what animates our lives. His life, his presence. His presence. Or as Jesus says at the end of the Great Commission, when he says we're supposed to go and make disciples, I'm with you always. To the very ends of time. His presence fills our life. Apostle Paul also writes in Ephesians, he says, I urge you to live lives worthy of the calling which you've received. And he goes on, because you might ask, why do we have to live these worthy lives? Later on, a few verses later, he says, because we have one Lord and one Father who is over all and who is in all. Wherever you go, you are a child of God. Uh, In whatever situation you're in, you're a servant to Jesus. Uh, In all the places that you go day by day, uh, you're sent there by the Holy Spirit to be an ambassador of hope. Everything counts. And everybody gets to play. Uh, I had a mentor who always would say that over and over again. Everyone gets to play. This isn't uh, Quidditch, where there's a few guys out there. Or gals. It's a very progressive sport in fantasy land. Uh, it doesn't, there's not a few people on the bench who get to watch. There's not a few fans that get to be around. In the kingdom of God, everyone gets to play. And the play is happening all the time, every day. And as Jesus fills our lives, the one Lord, the one Father who's above all and who's in all, as he fills our lives, our lives are transformed and changed. Uh, Not necessarily the things that we do, but the way that we do them. The reason behind why we do them. Or as Paul said in Colossians that we read, the name in which we do them. No longer are we doing these activities in our name, in our comfort, or our desires, or our passions, but we do all of life in the name of Jesus. Uh, And we call that uh, gospel intentionality, that we are uh, intentional with everything we do to do in light of the forgiveness and the love and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So gospel intentionality is doing ordinary activities of life under the gospel, for the gospel, and with the gospel. And that sounds super tricky. I mean, we're all kind of nodding. It sounds good that your life matters. Uh, I think that, you know, that's, you know, sometimes the sermons are, you know, your life is pretty terrible and you need Jesus. Uh, This sermon is, your whole life matters. But it sounds, uh, to me at least, that's very tricky. In what way? How do I make my life matter? How do I do everything under the gospel? How do I do uh, the grocery shopping, the lunch breaks, the vacation going, the sports, all of that stuff? How do I do that in light of who Jesus is. Uh, and, and because that's hard for us to wrap our brains around, we've come to find that it's really helpful uh, to use an acronym. Uh, you guys have done that or seen that, or if you watch Parks and Recreation, Leslie Nope is always coming up with really cool, complicated acronyms. This one's very simple. Uh, it's BLESS. It's five, five words or five rhythms of life, five uh, avenues in which we get to live all of life under the gospel. Uh, we're going to talk about each of those today. Daniel and I are going to run through them, but 
it's going to be like a taste. So if you've heard this before, it'll be a really wonderful reminder. Uh, if you've never heard this before, it's going to be just, a, it's just like an appetizer of what we mean by this. And uh, Mirel and I actually did a six-part podcast on each of these rhythms. We like had an hour-long conversation around each one. They're really, really good. I'll share them on Facebook. People love them. I got all sorts of fan mail that said, forward this to your wife. She's better than you. Uh, and so, uh, because she's so wise and wonderful and all of her stories are better. But so go uh, listen to that podcast if this is a taste that piques your interest because, um, yeah, well, there's a lot more to say about each of these. Um, before we jump into this acronym, I, I just want us to, to pray for a second. Uh, Jesus, uh, we thank you that you've saturated and you've filled our entire lives, that you fill us uh, with an abundant life, you living within us, uh, that we are your, your holy temple because you've taken up residence in our lives and in all of our situations. Uh, God, as we talk through all of these things today, um, I just pray that we'll be protected from thinking about all the work that we need to do or all the ways that we need to do better and do more, but instead we would have the freedom to see uh, how you're at work in our lives and how we uh, get to participate in your mission, how we get to uh, do life uh, with you and that you are communing and relating to us. And so I pray that, that in all of our hearts, that's what we would take away uh, is your goodness and your grace and your presence with us and that we would also learn how to uh, pattern our lives uh, in such a way that we make much of you and we proclaim your name with all of the activities we do, that, we, that your name would be the one that's lifted up. Um, yeah, we ask these things in your name, and Holy Spirit, please do that this morning. Amen. Amen. On to the acronym. The first letter for bless is, in fact, the word bless. We made it easy so you could get started easily. <laughs> So as Brad said, all of life is meant to be influenced, to be shaped, and impacted by the story of God, by the gospel, the good news in Jesus. He affects everything. And so what's one of the biggest parts of our lives? It's our stuff, the things we have, the stuff that we've been blessed by God with. And so this is possessions like our cars, our homes, our kitchen tables and chairs, our living rooms. Whatever that God has blessed you with. Also, we've been given relationships like friends and family, a church community. We've been given um, all these opportunities for us to experience and feel the blessing that God's given us. So according to the story of the Bible, in light of the good news of Jesus, why have we received such blessings? Like, Why do we have all these things? What's the purpose of the blessings God has allowed us to have and to steward while we're on earth. So in the Bible, we see the pattern of God's blessing His people is that they are blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to bless. And this rhythm of God's people to be a blessing goes all the way back to when He established His people on earth, through Abraham. So God met Abraham and made a promise to him. He said, I will make you into a great people. All your descendants will become my people. And I will bless them, and they will be a blessing to the rest of the people on earth. And so why would God do this? Everything God's people have been given, from their land 
to their families, their money, their food, everything that the Israelites had, all of it was given so that they could enjoy those things by sharing them with others. All the while pointing to God and telling people with words and showing them with actions who God is. It's meant to be shared and then it's meant to be pointed at who God is. They were blessed to be a blessing and they were blessed to bless others. All the while giving glory to God and showing everyone what He's like. So today the church continues on as God's people. And as a church, we realize that we're a family meant to share in all the things that God's blessed us with. And all the things that we've been given, we have to be outward focused. We bless each other and we remind each other of the grace and of the character of God. And we also bless our neighbors. We bring others in to that blessing. So as Jeff was saying, we bless each other as when he came in and was sharing about how the church blessed his family we also are able to do that for others. It's God has given us a commandment to love one another as well as our neighbors. And we love Him when we do those things. And this is good news because it means we can relax and hold all our blessings with open hands because they're really God's. We're able to turn to God and say, like Jesus, I have this car, I have this home, all is a gift that I've been giving and I, we don't deserve it. But God gives it to us mercifully anything, anyways. And we have everything in His name. It's all of His anyways. So we can relax and bless others. We don't have to hold tightly. But at the same time, because it's from God, we know that all of life has a purpose. That the things that He gives us, we're meant to have. The things we've been given are purpose-driven. And so let's not forget that purpose. My friend John Martin was instrumental to me in this whenever I first became a Christian. And he was someone who totally showed me what it was like to have even the mundane things of life as a blessing. So a lot of times I think that we think that blessing others with what we have has to be this big, huge shift in what we do. But in reality, it's more of an understanding of what we have. For instance, John Martin didn't have a whole lot. He was a few years older than me, he was married, and he lived in Mobile. We connected because we were both musicians, and I played in bands with him. And he was like, Daniel, you're a new Christian, you love Jesus? Me and my wife do too. You could just come hang out on the weekends. So on Fridays, after I got done with class, I would go down and hang out with John Martin and his wife. And there was nothing special that we did. He had a spare bed, I slept on it. And you know what? God discipled me by just being there with them. And he didn't have to make this huge dramatic shift except in his understanding that his home and his marriage, in a sense, was on display for me and the rest of the world to see. And so he invited me into that. I met his family, met his wife, and I can say that I was not excited, as maybe some youth group kids are, to get married at all. And seeing John Martin have his wife, and it wasn't even perfect. Like, they had conflict, and I saw that. But then I also saw the gospel illustrated through the reconciliation of their conflict. And that, for the first time, made me see that oh, marriage is that's pretty cool. <laughs> it's not this lofty goal or idea. Jesus, he's meant to be enjoyed in all parts of life. And John Martin helped me see that 
just by being intentional with what he had been blessed with. Yeah, and there's, I, I like what you said, that um, it's really a change in looking at what you do have and looking at, it's not about how much you have or how little you have. I think sometimes when we hear, uh, you've been blessed to be a blessing, we might look around and look in our cupboards and look at our cars and think, well, he didn't give very me very much to bless others. Um, but I think that what's, what's powerful about the, the reality of the gospel is that uh, in Christ we've received an abundance of blessing. Uh, that's even what, what Paul writes in Ephesians 1, that before the foundations of the earth, he chose to adopt us and give us every spiritual blessing. What we contain uh, and what we receive in the gospel uh, is far greater than, than anyone like in any massive mansion or anything like that. Uh, we've been given much uh, in Christ. And if we have a lot, if we have a little, it doesn't really matter. We give it all to the Lord, and it looks often like very ordinary things, which is really just like a shift of thinking, uh, is my life about me or is my life about others? And, and going into every situation that way. Uh, how can I be a blessing in this situation? Not how can I get through this faster or how can I get what I want faster or how can I control other people? Uh, being a people of blessing, I think, is uh, a remarkable testimony to our culture and our city. I don't know how many people are being told over and over again, be a blessing. I think even some of our greatest debates in culture are about how someone somewhere else can be a better blessing, uh, how the government can be a better blessing or a worse blessing. Uh, but really, uh, the transformative power of the kingdom of God is how God has blessed us abundantly, and now we get to go and bless all of these other people in mundane, ordinary ways. Um, the second acronym or letter is L, and it's for listen, uh, that we are attentive, that we ask others questions, that we focus our attention on knowing somebody else's story, someone else's life, getting to understand who they really are, that we, we listen. Uh, in the Bible, uh, the, the great command of the Old Testament begins with, Hear, O Israel. Uh, the prophets, over and over again, uh, said, If anyone has ears, let them hear. Uh, Jesus picks that same thing up and says, Hey, if you have ears to hear, hear. Uh, it's as if God all along has been saying, Just, like, listen to me. Uh, even throughout the Psalms, it gets repeated over and over again in, in little double lines to emphasize the fact that, that much of what we need to do in life uh, is to stop talking and to listen and to hear, uh, to understand, to come in, into that way. Uh, even in the, the New Testament, we see that uh, Christians are encouraged to bear with one another in their community, um, to, to really uh, listen and to care for each other's burdens, not just to, to speak over uh, their burdens. In the Apostle Paul, we see this example where he would go to cities and he would listen and, and have conversations with people and look at what's happening around in those cities before he even gave his, his big message. And it even appears that for Jesus, uh, his primary mode of getting to the heart of any situation or any life uh, or any person in front of him was to ask them questions. Like even people coming up to him saying, hey, can you heal me? He asks, do you want to be made well? 
Uh, when people come and say, hey, what's the best thing? He says, what do you think? Uh, when people uh, are trying to cr- criticize him, he says, well, what do you think is, is greater or better? Or who does this uh, coin belong to? Jesus, uh, for, for the, the teacher that he was, uh, seemed to rely heavily on asking questions and listening to the people around him. And uh, honestly, we are a content-generating people. Uh, we like to produce words, uh, written words, words and images. You know, if you like, cal- like even now, you know, Instagram is a cool app because a picture is worth a thousand words. But now we want to post a picture and write a whole bunch of words. Uh, a whole, like you have to click more, like multiple times, just to read it all. We like to talk. Uh, we like to be heard. And I think part of it is we don't believe anyone's listening to us. Uh, and I think that's some of the power of Jesus, is here is God in heaven coming to earth, sitting down and asking us questions of our lives. Um, and so that gives us freedom to actually listen to other people. But one of the, the things that we have to get over to sort of embrace this life where everything matters and everything counts is our urge to be the one who says things uh, instead to listen and to listen at multiple levels uh, not just asking one question how was your week but then asking how so you know if so you ask how was your week someone's like oh bad oh how was it bad what really happened there um, and being genuinely curious to ask the third the fourth the fifth question I know that sounds crazy and, or maybe just really simple uh, teaching today, but that is one of the primary ways we're going to make disciples today is through listening um, and listening to God himself, listening and hearing his voice uh, in all moments of life, to hear each other's stories and community and love each other by understanding who they are and bearing with one another in love. I think in community, most of the conflicts happen because we hear someone say something, and instead of asking questions and getting to know who they are, where they, they, that came from, we just assign them a category of a person that we don't like or an intention or a motive that they have. Uh, but that's actually unhelpful, even if they do have a terrible motive, is to draw out the heart and to ask questions. And then on mission, uh, we don't come with a bullhorn, but we come as listeners, just as D- Jesus did asking the the very core questions of life of who are you what do you want out of this life where are you going what's hard what's what's easy what's your dream Uh, where are you coming from these are the questions that jesus even asked himself Um, one of my uh friends that i've that i've made over the years is a guy named malcolm and uh we would we would talk a lot in our front yards We'd have all sorts of conversations. And then one day I got super brave and I said, hey, we should go have breakfast sometime. Uh, And he's like, just me and you? And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I do this with people in my church all the time. I've never done it with you. Do you want to go have breakfast? And he was like, yeah. Uh, And so we had breakfast. And uh, it was amazing because uh, I asked him maybe three or four questions. And he explained uh, the, some of the core issues of his life, uh, how his uh, father had died when he was a teenager. His dad was like the, the very best for him. 
and how that, that for him changed the way that he even looks at raising his own son and how his whole kind of purpose in life is to be alive for his son. He also shared stories about how he took communion uh, when his family was on vacation in France and he did it wrong and the priest scolded him and so did all of these others around him. And so he even confessed, you know, I know the name of your church is about communion and that really terrifies me because for me, it was the worst moment of my life. Uh, He told his story about him and his wife. He shared uh, stuff about uh, that's even was going on in his life within his, within his own marriage. And, and it was powerful because from that moment on, whatever I had to say that was truth about Jesus, he was so attentive to um, because he had been really hurt. Uh, and so I think we can't, uh, we can't forsake the listening. Uh, so much more powerful than just coming to him and saying, here's some truths, come take communion. Uh, it even changed the way that we... Describe communion in our church. Brad said that listening is very simple, but some of the most powerful things are indeed extremely simple. And so I learned the power of simply listening. First started working at Trader Joe's. Came to LA, I was losing my mind, just ready to tell people about Jesus. I love to study. I love to have the answers to the big questions that people at Trader Joe's would have for me. And, uh, you know, I'd hear him say something like, well, all truth is relative. Because, you know, I'm like getting into philosophical conversations with him. And I'd be like, ah, there's my chance. Boom, here's the answer to that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that didn't really work so well long term building a relationship. Even though, like communion, it may be the right answer or the truth. Asking people questions is a great way to actually let them know that Jesus cares about them. Whereas it may be true, Jesus cares about you, he loves you. If we make the effort to love and then display Jesus' love by listening, that's a huge deal. And so I did that. I realized all my uh, marksmanship of the big questions about relative truth and these things were much better. A much better way to tell about Jesus was just asking questions about what do you think about communion? And what do you think about Jesus? And just letting them talk. And then what was really crazy is, instead of me being my, a marksman, you know, shooting the, the target, instead of me seeing myself that way, they didn't see me that way. They saw me as someone who could listen to when hurts and the things that they needed Jesus to come and speak into came up, they were able to feel safe and comfortable sharing about Jesus, um, or me sharing about Jesus with them. So as Christians, I think that we put this pedestal of evangelism, and we got all the right answers. It's helpful to study and have an answer ready for why we believe the things we believe. Absolutely. But listening is a simple and powerful rhythm that's in the Bible, and that's meant for the church today. Another simple and powerful rhythm is eating. (laughs) Indeed. And that may sound silly too, but as Paul writes in Corinthians, it's 1 Corinthians 10.31, he says this, or 10.31. He says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And that's, so that's legit right there. That's not silly. Whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. 
And did you know that eating is one of the greatest motifs in all the Bible? You can't get very far without seeing eating or an illustration or a metaphor just right there. Creation, boom. Eat of the tree of life. Jesus describes himself as the bread of life. It's a big deal. It's because through eating, we're meant to know about God and know about Jesus, worship him through the eating. We see that illustrated in the Lord's Supper. Jesus says, eat of the bread, drink from the cup, remember that God is your provider of the things you've been blessed with, but also ultimately in Christ. He has provided for you. And so each meal is an opportunity to be mindful of God. It's a, it, to be mindful of how He created us. That meals, like someone was getting excited about eating, are a good thing. Like cook, cooking is fun. Smelling food is great. There are awesome colors. And the textures are great. You can hear it sizzle. Bacon sizzling. You know? And so, I mean, that that's, shows God's creation. And a gift to us that everything has a design. And it's not just a, a fuel tank. Like eating is an experience that we get to cherish and love because God has created us to cherish and love meals with the purpose of remembering Him. Remembering Him as Creator. Remembering Him as Provider through Jesus. That's why all these illustrations are everywhere. Not because eating is some basic thing we got to get out of the way, like kind of in L.A., pop the Trader Joe's mac and cheese and move on. (laughs) Meals are a legitimate rhythm to life. And as we take a meal and remember who Jesus is by the eating of the meal, we're able to invite others to the table. Invite other people to the party. Invite each other to the party. That's why we have family dinner once a week. It's because meals are powerful. And Whenever you have a meal with someone, like that breakfast, that's, like a, that's a mile marker of friendship. Even if it's just coffee, that's a big deal. And it's an opportunity to live with gospel intentionality. It's an opportunity to share about the hope you have in Christ as your provider, ultimately. And my missional community, we've been even just taking the meal to others in a sense. We went on the, what we called a coffee walk a couple weeks ago. We just filled up coffee in two coffee urns, like the ones back there. I don't know if urn is the right word. Those metal things that you put coffee in. Maybe the coffee you make tastes... No, it was great. Oh. <laughs> it was unbelievable. So, the... Oh, no. <laughs> the, uh, and we went to the boardwalk, because there's, in Venice, so many people that live outside, and there are neighbors in Venice, the people who live outside. And so we thought, well, why don't we go and just have a conversation? Go and bless people. Like, we have enough to make some extra coffee. That's not a huge deal. And we have ears to listen. Why don't we just take the meal to these people, in a sense? And so we went up, just held the you know, coffee. Like, hey, you want some coffee? Heck yeah, come on. So you have a cup of coffee with, with a homeless person outside. It was awesome. It was super great to learn people's names, to listen to their stories. Some of them are like, why are you doing this? Well, we love Jesus. He gives us enough to share coffee with everyone. So we're doing it. Or, you know, or even if Jesus didn't come up like, in a cool, natural way like that, we always just say, like, hey, God bless in Jesus' name. Hmm. You know, name-dropping Jesus. He's the reason we do this. It's, it's important. Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, 
Yeah, I love the eating one, obviously. Uh, I think it's, it's quite uh, central to even the life of Jesus. Uh, the, one of the main accusations against Jesus was that he was uh, eating with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes, that he was sharing his table that way. And the reason that was such a big accusation against him was that, that to share that meal with someone is one of the most intimate of relational things that we can do. Totally. And so the, the accusation against him was he's friends with these people. Like he likes them, he listens to them, he cares about them. Like this is really messed up. Uh, I think that that, that should be a, an, an accusation that we carry with pride in the same way that, that Jesus did. Uh, several commentators on the, the New Testament uh, have described that specifically with the Gospel of Luke, you can look at the whole thing as Jesus either going to or coming from a meal. That the whole Gospel of Luke is about Jesus eating and where he's going to to eat next and where he's eating and then where he's going from there to eat somewhere else. Uh, it's that, that instrumental uh, to our lives. And I think that, that at our tables uh, we get to see uh, and befriend and, and grow with one another. That's why each of our missional communities share a meal once a week. That's why uh, we share a meal every time we get together on Sundays when we take the bread and the wine. It's to remind us of the ultimate gospel feast. Uh, that's, that's why the, the getting to the, the table is such a key part of loving our neighbors. The, the next uh, word is speak. Uh, after all of the blessing and all of the listening and all of the eating, we also have the opportunity to speak in every part of life, to tell the truth about who God is uh, in every scenario and with all people. Uh, in the beginning, God spoke. The story begins with his words, all creation spoken into existence. To Abraham and Sarah, he speaks. When Jesus arrives, he says and he proclaims and he says over and over again, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. On that Pentecost Sunday after Jesus has ascended into the heavens, uh, Peter comes and he speaks and he says, this is what's going on here. And at the end he says, believe. Uh, we, uh, as the people of God, get to tell others the truth. Uh, we get to tell one another the truth. Uh, we get to remind each other of the very essence of our existence, that God loves us so overwhelmingly that he sent his son to live and to die for us, that we might be alive. Like that is uh, a remarkable truth that we have the privilege of saying anytime we want. Uh, and it's a truth that, that sets us free. Uh, in First Peter, uh, he describes how we live such good lives among all of these people uh, that, that they'll ask us to give a reason for the hope that we have. And he says, be prepared to give that reason, that hope. Be prepared to speak that out. Uh, there is, in all of the, the, the rhythms so far, it basically sets the table for these really wonderful opportunities to say, what's true about God. Uh, first, though, we, we say that to God. We, actually, it's important to speak truths about who God is 
to God. Uh, that's uh, some of you might not like to sing very much, but but why does the church sing and why has the church sung for thousands of years? It's so that we might say with our mouths what's true about God, and that we might say them all together in unison. Uh, that's what these songs are about each Sunday. It's to talk and to say and to speak what's true about God to God. Uh, We also have the important privilege of speaking the truth to one another in community. Not just that we uh, hear each other's problems and burdens and stories, but that we're also able to say, you know what, like I know like you struggle with your father on this earth, but God is an ultimate father who's adopted you and brought you into his family. Like we get to say that truth. Um, We get to proclaim the truth about how Jesus is in control and is uh, creating a beautiful story in everyone's life. We get to say that in moments of anxiety. We get to proclaim those truths. And then we also, with our neighbors, we get to tell them uh, about who God is. And we get to explain the story of God. Um, I think that uh, this is um, often forgotten. Sometimes we like the other parts and don't like this part. Um, several years ago in the Super Bowl, uh, the Seattle Seahawks were playing the, the evil Patriots. Uh, and we were living in the Northwest, so it was a big deal there. Everyone liked the Seahawks. And it was a great game, if anyone remembers it, those four people that watch sports. But uh, what happened was as Seattle was coming back. It was at the very end of the game. They got to the three-yard line. They had one of the greatest running backs that ever existed, and uh, he was standing back there ready to take the ball and just walk into the end zone. They had four chances to do that, to win. Uh, Instead, on their very first chance, they threw it to the other team, and the game was over. Uh, The reason I like that story so much is when I was there, we were at this huge party, and everyone was so bummed and angry and I didn't care at all and I was like let's just pretend the game ended when he caught the pass on the three yard line let's just pretend let's just move on let's just say that's when the game ended and I'll be happy and no one was satisfied with that everyone was like no the game didn't end there we all know it we have to live the rest of our lives knowing that we did not win uh and It's pretty, I think it's comical, but I would say uh, for us as a church, we often do the exact same thing. Like we uh, build relationships with people, we listen to them really well, we go out to eat with them, we have drinks, we network, we play games with one another, we include people in our lives, we do all of that stuff. Maybe every now and then we like name drop that we go to church or something like that. Uh, But then that last three yards, we never utter the truth of Jesus is actually for you and your entire life. He came, he died and rose again. Your whole life is about whether you believe in him or not. And that's the truth for everyone. What people are doing with Jesus is what their lives are about. Everyone who exists and who's on the planet today Jesus is the main thing happening in their life. What they're going to believe about him or what they're going to reject about him. And so if we get to that, like we do all of this other stuff, but then do not utter the words of hope to someone, it's, we cannot have even loved them. Uh, even the staunchest of atheists will tell you, 
If what we believe is true, the only loving response is to tell them. That's the only response that's, that's even valid. In the BLESS acronym, Sabbath. So what is Sabbath? Sabbath is a time to rest and reflect and wait on God. So in the Bible we see that God's people, Israel, they were required to rest in God. Daily, weekly, yearly. Sometimes they would have the year of Jubilee, whole year, that the ground was to rest. The blessing that God had given them was to rest. They were supposed to depend on God for everything, to be their provider. And not just depend on Him with their heads, they were actually supposed to relax. As Christians today, we got to realize that even our resting and our waiting is defined by the gospel, which is great news too, because that means we can actually rest. We can pause and remember that God is sovereign and in control. And we're talking about all of these blessed rhythms. We're talking about what do we do with our stuff? How do we listen? How do we eat? How do we speak? It's important to remember that rest is also extremely powerful, and it's God-designed. It's God-designed. It's an opportunity for us to remember Him, remember that He is our provider, both daily, in the day in and day out, and then ultimately in Jesus. And we need to hear that as Christians in L.A. We can, Christianity, disciple-making, living intentionally with the gospel can be another thing to accomplish, another thing to... I don't know, what is the work-grind kind of attitude of, of, of a lot of us people? Is, is to make this a whole other thing that we don't even need God for. That our missional communities, our DNA groups, our lives become programs that are a system of just putting out a product. We make Christianity that too. Except that we are forced to wait. Or that we are invited to wait. That God's rhythm of waiting and resting and reflecting on Him is crucial. Because He is doing His mission He's going to accomplish His mission. He invites us in on the mission. That God doesn't depend on us for the accomplishment of making disciples. He's going to call these people to Himself. That God doesn't depend on us is one of the biggest reliefs that we can ever have. Yes, out of love, we're inspired to go and do these rhythms. Realizing that God has given us Himself, He's given us His presence, He's given us the truth, of Jesus, and we get to go and speak and live and enjoy that as, as good. He's so good that He also created us to rest and depend on Him. I can't get over it. It's so wonderful, and it's so contrary to the culture we live in. You must rest, and you must realize that Christ is at the head. He is in control, and He's Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man and women. It was made for us to rest and enjoy in His provision. And that's something that I've been learning about. You may or may not know, Soma Culver City is starting a new church in Venice that we're multiplying into two bodies of believers. And myself and others are leading that multiplication of churches. And resting has been absolutely a battle for me. I start to see the people that were... um, discipling the people that we're reaching, the people that are inside of our church family, and I want to just do all that I can to 
stabilize everything, to make sure that God is he's on our side, that God is working. I've got to do this to make sure that God influences this person's life, to bring them into the fold, to, I mean, even the practical side of how is all this, where are we going to gather whenever it comes time for Soma Venice to gather on Sunday mornings? Finding out all these logistics, it can start to look like I'm the one who's the hero. And I start to think of myself as the one who is just trying to work with a God who isn't sovereign, a God who may or may not love me. It's funny how, that, how I know these truths that we've been talking about in my head, and I can say them back. But in our lives, resting can be one of the most difficult things, to rest in the truth that God is Lord, that Jesus is real and that his truths play out into the everyday rhythms of life. So that's the acronym. Bless. Um, We have it all right there. Look at it. Wow. Yeah, it all spells bless. We checked it. Uh, Just to remind us of of where we began, Paul writes in Colossians uh, chapter 3, he says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Um, Our whole lives get to be about Jesus um, and I think that as we close, as we go to communion, we might think about uh, what is God doing in the world? I think that's a big question folks are often asking. What is God doing in my life? Um, if I could just point you to the things that God is doing or has done in your life. Uh, Jesus has come into this world to bless you with the overwhelming a reality of his forgiveness uh, through his death, through his resurrection. He's blessed you with a life that you've never experienced before. He's raised you from darkness, and it's all a gift. There's nothing to do. There's nothing to work for. He's blessed you with grace. Uh, what is God doing? He's listening. He hears the cries of the people. He hears the pains and the agonies, and he knows your story, and he's with you in your story, and he came to also uh, recreate your whole life uh, to be one marked by hope uh, in who he is. He's also coming, and he's made himself a meal, as Daniel said. He said, I'm the bread of life. On that, that night before his death, he was sitting with his friends, eating a meal, listening to them, uh, the whole gamut of the rhythms, and he And he says, this is my body, this is my blood, this is a new covenant, that I am going to die for your sins, that I'm going to die for the rebellion of the world, that I'm going to rise again, and you will be a new people, and the earth will be made new. That's the new covenant, that's the meal. Uh, That's what God's doing in your life. Uh, God is also speaking, declaring, uh, and enjoying declaring Uh, who you are over you day and night, Uh, declaring his love, his grace, his forgiveness over you without ceasing. And he's also coming and he's saying, I am Sabbath rest. Like Jesus is the rest that you all long for. Uh, We are a tired and weary people. And he says, come all who are weary and hungry and I will give you rest. Come and eat, come and taste, come and drink. 
Uh, and that is the essence of a disciple-making life. That's the essence of all the activity, is what God is doing uh, in your life. And what he's doing uh, in your life and all those things he wants to do through your life. And that's what we've been describing today. Uh, let, let's pray uh, and continue on in our worship this morning. Jesus, we thank you for uh, making all things new, even us. You are uh, the fantastic, perfect one who has lived uh, a life that, that we would love to live as an example, but you've actually lived such a life that you've, uh, you've put your spirit within us through it all. Uh, we pray that we would be people that get to embody the truth and that we would delight in living the truth. Make us uh, a passionate people, uh, a fervent people, uh, to live out a life with you at the core, at the center of it all. Uh, Thank you, Jesus, for being who you are and doing what you've done. Amen.